This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Joint Acquisition Task Force the Pentagon set up to deal with COVID-19 pandemic is not going away, even when the pandemic finally does. Defense officials have decided to make the organization permanent. As Federal News Network's Jared Serbu reports, one of its main functions will be to help other federal agencies with complex acquisition problems. The department set up the task force earlier this year to serve as the single coordinator for the acquisition support it offered to other agencies during the COVID response. Since then, it's executed more than $3 billion in contracts, mostly for the Department of Health and Human Services and the Federal Emergency Management Agency. But Ellen Lord, DOD's Undersecretary for Acquisition and Sustainment, says department leaders decided that interagency cooperation function needs to be an enduring capability. So starting in 2021, the Joint Acquisition Task Force will become the Defense-Assisted Acquisition Cell, a new part of the existing Joint Rapid Acquisition Cell. As the JADF transitions from its current structure to a more permanent operation under the JRAC, the JADF and JRAC teams, with partners across the department, are developing a playbook to document the processes, authorities, and resources needed for this and any future public health crises to which the department responds. The DHU cell will continue to support DOD and interagency partners for the COVID-19 crisis and also serve as DOD's first line for acquisition support in the event of future national emergencies. Stacy Cummings, the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Acquisition Enablers, who's been leading the task force, says DOD has long had well-established channels to work with FEMA to support responses to natural disasters. What it didn't have until now, she says, is a centralized office dedicated to building relationships with other federal agencies who might need assisted acquisition services. DOD, with our uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, acquisition professionals, is in a position to respond quickly and robustly, uh, but we do need to have that framework and those relationships and, frankly, that trust in place in order to quickly establish the ability to take the authorization and appropriation that another executive branch department uh, receives from Congress, but take advantage of the depth and breadth of capability that DOD has to bring to a crisis. And so lesson learned into a lesson implemented, we are establishing a permanent office within the Department of Defense, uh, within the Undersecretary for Acquisition and Sustainment to always be thinking about How do we support the interagency and be that one-stop shop? Besides the $3 billion in contracts the JADF helped process for end items like personal protective equipment, it also helped HHS use the new Defense Production Act authorities it gained under the CARES Act to help build domestic production capacity for critical medical items. Cummings says those investments currently stand at $640 million and growing. We are still in the middle of this effort, uh, but we've invested $640 million to increase domestic production or to onshore production of critical medical resources that became scarce when the lines of transportation were cut as the COVID um, pandemic hit not just clearly the nation globe, um, really gave us a lot to think about as far as national economic and national security related to medical industrial base, uh, as well as the risks of foreign dependence 
for our, our critical medical resources, again, when those transportation lines get cut. The Air Force played a major role in those efforts, since that service serves as DOD's designated executive agent for the Defense Production Act. In the early days of the pandemic, while the Joint Task Force was still being stood up, one struggle was that defense procurement officials didn't have a deep understanding of the supply chain for health care supplies. Nonetheless, Major General Cameron Holt, the Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Air Force for Contracting, says they were able to advise HHS on which business arrangements made sense, using some of the same market intelligence capabilities they designed for the defense industry. That vendor vetting capability wound up paying off big, big dividends. We were even able to vet some of the DHHS's contractors for them and quickly advise them on when not to do that deal. One example um, that I would use that our vendor vetting cell saved the day on, our senior leaders in the Air Force actually got an unsolicited email uh, from a company that looked very, very credible. Uh, They used relationships that they had had to uh, be able to send that email. They had documentation attached that was very credible looking, lots of detail and pictures and labs and all the rest of it that showed a lot of deep capabilities. We vetted that contractor, and it turned out that uh, they were not in America, as they said. They were in the Philippines. And frankly, there was some uh, international warrants out for their arrest, and they didn't have uh, <laughs> they didn't have financial accounts or anything else. And so um, we we have turned off a lot of fraud, waste, and abuse before it ever happened. Overall, the Defense Department has spent $17 billion so far on COVID-related contracts and agreements, and turnaround times for getting dollars on contract have moved at light speed compared to the normal pace of the defense acquisition system. Kim Harrington, the acting director of defense pricing and contracting, says about half of that amount was spent via other transaction agreements. A lot of our vaccine development have been done under OTAs, uh, and then there's been the industry expansion and the the capacity expansion that Stacy mentioned as well uh, that make up the 17 billion. But on average, we've processed all of those transactions in less than a month, in less than 30 days. Some of those, we certainly leveraged, uh, you know, just uh, uh, undefinitized contract action where we can start quickly and then we've got to come back and, and negotiate price. But, but it really does show the urgency and being able to quickly get things under contract. Jared Serbu, Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, Think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.